Yes, this is the one podcast that you have been waiting for. This is Nick Flanagan Weekly, your one-stop shop for thoughts, thought experiments, thinking on your feet, stinking thinking, drinking thinking, all kinds of thinking. We are just ideas and thinking through the ass. And I'm Nick, your host, and uh, this is a podcast, I guess, whatever that is, uh... I can't remember what the term pod... Oh, yeah, it's for your iPod. So just crank up the vol on your iPod. Hopefully you've got enough storage space and you're not using an iPod shuffle. Uh, hopefully you've got like 128 jeebs of uh, storage space and we're good to go. You are going to enjoy this one. I, I guarantee. I'm Nick, as I said earlier. I'm a comedian and a writer and blah, 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 blah. Hopefully... You are a returning listener or a new listener who will become a returning listener, or maybe you're here because my guest retweeted the damn thing or shared it, which not enough of my guests do, let's be real. If you're a guest of the podcast and you're listening, please remember how important it is not just to share the podcast, but to like do one of those retweet with comments and go, hey now, hey now. I loved being on the podcast. Check out Nick's podcast. And I think that'll really help. And I know for a fact that this next guy is very media savvy and uh, will likely give a personalized advertisement of this podcast. And if he doesn't, well, he'll have to hear this intro and be shamed. His name's Josiah Hughes. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Josiah Hughes, journalist podcaster, husband, music fan, comedy fan, film fan, longtime writer for Exclaim Magazine, the uh, venerable monthly newspaper. Uh, it's covered a lot of great music. It certainly has added to uh, my musical knowledge. I've, I've, I've read it since I was like a kid. It was a big deal, Exclaim. And um, Josiah's an editor there as well as a writer. And he's also a podcaster. He hosts Blink 155. I've been lucky enough to be a guest on this podcast where he and Sam Sutherland, another great journalist, wind up. Uh, they, they pick a Blink 182 song you never heard, and then you listen to it and you talk about it. And uh, I d didn't really listen to Blink-182 uh, beyond the hits when I grew up. And I got to hear a song called Can't Get You More Pregnant. And talked about it to Josiah with Josiah for a very long time. And uh, yeah, he used to live in Calgary. Now he lives in Montreal. You'll hear about that in the podcast. We had a hilarious talk. Oh, I loved it. It just flowed. Honestly, this one came out. This is one that came out for me just DMing with Josiah and being like, oh, yeah, you should totally be on the, my podcast. You're, you're great. I remember when I got here in 2019, I went to a bar called The Monarch and they were doing a live podcast thing and they had a lot of people there. It was so cool. They have a successful podcast. And also he hosts a, a new podcast called Globe Hell Warning, which we discuss in his episode following this intro and it's it's with a rapping for safety the twitter user rapping for safety so give it a listen and give this a listen and follow globe hell on twitter 
And follow Josiah Hughes on Twitter. Check out Blink-155 if you enjoy this podcast. You know, reviewing, subscribing, sharing it with friends. Always great. Ko-fi.com slash Nick Flanagan if you want to donate money on a one-time or monthly basis. Or you can go the Patreon route, because why not? Patreon.com slash Nick Flanagan. Thank you so much. Thank you to Andy, our producer, Andy Lloyd. And uh, enjoy my talk with Josiah Hughes. Okay, I'm already, I've started recording right now. Is that, is that cool? Great. Well, let's talk. <laughs> okay, perfect. Uh, um, you're, you're I, like, I don't know. I think that the, the idea of, I didn't actually beef up my recording gear because I thought that, you know, the time had come for me <laughs> to become a professional level podcaster, although that was really exciting knowing that I'd get to. But um, I, I, uh, uh, I had to do, I thought I'd have to do self tapes and, and voiceover. I wanted to get into like voiceover work. Oh, wow. That'd be great. Things. You even see a green screen creeping out here. <laughs> you're, you're ready to, for, for the prime time, not prime time, whatever time. I just, uh, <laughs> hey. How's it going? It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long time. Are you at the top of the monarch tavern? <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you were having a Blink One Five Five get gathering. We called the we called those uh, Blink One Fifty Live is what and, we called them. And that was uh, probably that was what two years ago maybe. I think it was three three years ago because it was during TIFF as well, which is happening right now, but now it's online only. The only reason I think it might have been two years ago is because I did not live in toronto three okay years. yeah you never mind you're right it was three years it was two years ago i have to call you on that one <laughs> you've already called me this is a <laughs> terrible start <laughs> give you a ring on that one <laughs> god damn it i'm pretty sure it was five years ago <laughs> um, here's a copy of moby dick i'm currently selling a lot of my things i'm not sure this is ha- available <laughs> are you offering if i want to buy it Yes. <laughs> it's like you've got space on the bookshelf. There I, is some space. You know, I think if you're not zooming with a bookshelf in the background, what are you, Marie Kondo? <laughs> we did, my wife and I did like big time Marie Kondo because we moved from Calgary to Montreal and we got rid of like, we moved in suitcases only. So I got, I had like a 15 year Mad Magazine collection I had been working on. That's so cool. And then I was just like, I'm not going to carry thousand, all 2005 to 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, I, I got rid of it all. And, uh, and my wife used to collect like vintage ET stuff and we just got rid of everything and no one in Calgary wanted to buy any of it. So it just ended up at a, uh, a thrift store. <laughs> I never thought about that. That must be why thrifting is such a joy sometimes is that depending on where you are, nobody wants that shit. Exactly. But there's someone, some, like, I think we could have like opened a store here with everything we got rid of. I'll be honest with you, I'm like close to having enough things to open a store. Even before <laughs> the pandemic, I've been, uh, I've been, I've been, um, like buying things at, at like for the, pr- basically the purpose of like reselling or trading. There are lots of things I like having. You can see video games in the background and, you know, a Homer doll here and there doesn't hurt anybody. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I've got all this stuff now and I honestly could open a pop-up 
and I think pop-ups are going to be very pop-up-ular, pop-up-ular, pop-up-ular. If we wind up constantly having to lock down. Well, if you open a pop up, then I think we can finally say that you're pop punk. (laughs) Yes. And (laughs) now if you're familiar with any of my bands, uh, you've been an ardent supporter of my bands. And, and you know what? I feel like you and Sam have been some of the few people who've uh, put me on the map. So to speak. (laughs) You wrote an article about me for the late, great split cider magazine. If I recall. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. You too. I met you ages ago at uh, Sled Island. Yeah, I met you there. Um, I was a fan of Brutal Nights before that, and then uh, Wrong Hole. I think I think I got to be Wrong Hole's biggest fan. Thank you. <laughs> wow, I can't wait for the pop up. <laughs> oh, that's not for sale. My album. <laughs> not for sale. I think it's a good idea to have a pop-up, but then nothing is like all the cool shit. None of it's for sale. You're just telling everyone that's not for sale. That's a type of store. And that definitely would be the type of store I would open. You know, that type of store where you go in and it's like somebody has like crazy junk everywhere. And it's like kind of a open house hoarder thing, but they're allegedly (laughs) attached. And uh, you wind up, um, uh, you know, you want that GI Joe in package. You want Destro. Exactly. And then you say, can I have Destro? And they go, no. <laughs> or like, like it's $600. Right. Which I definitely had. There was this amazing flea market that just closed in Toronto called the Weston Flea Market. And uh, it wasn't one of these new school farmer's markets slash flea markets. <laughs> Someone you know is like, hey, I made a, I made a rug. It's $2,000. <laughs> right. It's like. You know, it's like a real flea market with like lots of different with stuff. fleas, with lots of fleas. I didn't go that far, but <laughs> not at all. But I will say it was a very multicultural flea market, and honestly, you could get like that. That was the coolest thing. We have a couple of those in the city. These flea markets that are literally like everywhere from you know people from China to Kenya to you know uh, Pakistan, India, and their food is all there too. Oh hell yeah! So you really have just the best time going to these places. But, you know, there was some like Toronto or Ontario kind of like, it's also a lot of these kind of Ontario, like waspy, you know, um, hoardy type uh, people who, who have bring their things to the flea market. And I remember they would have like video games and I'd say, how much is this copy of uh, Sonic 2, just the cartridge? And they'd be like, that would be uh, Sonic $2,000. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way they actually said that. Very popular. <laughs> They're not that clever. Well, they wouldn't even have heard the pop-up joke earlier. <laughs> That's true. They weren't here for this, so. But um yeah, the uh I don't remember how I got there. Oh yeah, so I've got this abundance of things. I'm at my mother's house right now where I was living for a long period of time and I still would be living were there not a global catastrophe happening. Right. And uh, you know, it's a shame. It's not great. I don't think anyone's loving it. Alberta, do you have a kid? No. Are you interested? Not really. Okay, moving on. <laughs> uh, what's going on with the schools over there? It uh, the schools? 
Oh yeah, you're not in Calgary anymore. No, I live in Montreal now, but um, that's over there too. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think uh, Montreal and Alberta have been vying for the worst in Canada for handling the pandemic. Well, Toronto is is probably not the worst in Canada in terms of handling, but uh, we're definitely on an upswing of cases, and in terms of just like people having seeing people my age you know which is very old <laughs> uh just kind of like have personal responsibility which i i mean again i don't have very much but just like just the flexibility of what we think we can do is uh, under a circumstance like this it's like i like people maybe it's just like i like people less than i thought i would or less than the average right <laughs> but you know I hugged a lot of people in my time. Are you a big time hugger? I mean, I have been. I, was, I, don't, I don't remember getting a hug from you at the Monarch Tavern, but. No, but that was, uh, I was just surprised to see you. And we might, <laughs> we might have hugged. It might have been, yeah. There's probably something, some contact. You were also like a celebrity at the Monarch Tavern. <laughs> That's uh, true. You have these 150 live shows with your co-host, Sam Sutherland. Who I was getting into saying you, I started by saying you were very supportive of Brutal Nights, stand-up comedy, uh, wrong hole, um, all kinds of stuff, man. Are you involved in the Exclaim Magazine comedy department? I'm not actually, no. I, I do just film and music at Exclaim. All right, well then never mind. <laughs> you trying to, you got a gripe or you got a... They're nice to me too. Oh, good. Well, anyway, but, and then Sam, when he was working at, I don't remember. Ox TV? Yeah, he used to work there. I feel like I got a couple of things through him. I got like... Well, I was freelancing there too. So I might have been... I, I used to just, when I was a freelancer, I would just like pick a few things that I like and then just write about them everywhere. Maybe we wrote about... me, But did you interview me about like favorite punk songs? Was that you? I think yeah, that was me. That was me. And then also... But Sam interviewed me for something with Brutal Nights. So you guys... were Yeah, I mean... Yeah. The award. <laughs> so, anyway, um, and now two years later, if you had a Blink One Hundred and Fifty Live event in Toronto, Ontario, you'd probably need to have it downstairs at the Monarch or more. It's maybe yeah. I mean, or we or we would get in trouble for uh, you know spreading the coronavirus if we were oh, to have it now. Yeah, that's true. We could do it at like a drive-in or whatever. I think that your podcast about Blink-182 songs that people have not heard, um, that is Blink-155 in a nutshell, right? Essentially, yeah. I mean, we've just, uh, every week, and the thing is, Sam and I had like worked together a little bit before, but we didn't even, we had only ever met once. We had never really hung out before. Um, We're and out then Exactly. He was just like, hey, do you want to do this podcast where we talk about a different Blink-182 song every week until we run out of songs? There was 155 at the time. Um, and so I said, I, like, it took, he was like, just take some time to think about it because I really want to commit to this. I don't want to like half-ass it. And two minutes later, I was like, yes, I'm in. So, I mean, I didn't realize, but it has like, honestly, that night actually at the Monarch was one of the first times where I was like, holy shit, people actually listened to this. Like, I couldn't believe that people were there. I mean, it's not crazy. I, I think it's awesome. Um, but uh, it, it's funny what catches on and what doesn't. <laughs> and, 
which is part of my question sheet for you. There is, uh, um, how do I get my podcast? <laughs> but we'll get there later. <laughs> um, yeah. So Sam, so now blink one for 55 is your only job. It's not, it's not. That's the thing is, uh, internet success does not equal rent payment at all. Yeah. Even <laughs> not quite. No, I mean, maybe, maybe I almost could do it if I had another three years to just pump up the Patreon a little more, but Isn't it crazy? It's, it's so true though. Like if you get something that got, um, like a thousand, uh, retweets, let's say, and then you followed it by saying like, check out my SoundCloud. Yeah. Like 50 maybe listens to that SoundCloud out of it. Oh, totally. I mean, I used to like, I used to kind of do half dicking around on Twitter and half like sharing my sincere opinions of things that I like or whatever. And it's just like, no one gives a fuck about a recommendation or. I deal with that all the time. (laughs) I'm always like, like, this is the funny thing, you know, and I guess you've seen it at work uh, with what I do for a long time, but it's like, you know, especially when I was first starting, it was like, Oh, this person has a, uh, indomitable will of uh, commitment to uh, to being uh, deadpan and daring and f- <laughs> sense of humor. I don't know if you thought that. Definitely, probably didn't think daring. But <laughs> you know, well, actually, I was often jumping around and being daring when I was performing in uh, Brutal Night. That's, that's true. You're kind of like a Fred Durst of comedy in that sense. <laughs> Does he do co- what? So it's just the name that came to mind when I thought of jumping around for some reason. Um, but yeah, and, and it turns out I also like to be sincere and it turns out I also like to go like RIP to all the homies. Uh, you know, that's a combination that confuses strangers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the problem is even still now that I try to keep all of my sincere thoughts, I mean, I'm pretty sincere on the podcast, but it's a three hour labyrinth of jokes every week so you you have to really commit to get to the sincerity but um i do find no matter what i do like i even at the start of our podcast i was like i sincerely love blink 182 this isn't a joke even though i'm gonna make fun of them and joke around i sincerely love this but people don't know when you're doing a bit and when you're not doing a bit it's just like people just don't get it and every once in a while i'll be like yeah i've actually fucking loved this band and people are like are you doing a bit right now you know they just they can't they don't have the vocabulary to parse that we sometimes we can dick around 90 percent of the time but still have like human thoughts sometimes i mean i think that you know people must get that you like the podcast or the band because i don't think it would be successful it is as it is if you didn't you know yeah i mean i'm from the school of, like i said i used to like i grew up reading mad magazine um and just kind of all that kind of stuff that sort of corner of pop culture just was like you just kind of make fun of everything and if you love something you make fun of it even more kind of i mean this is exactly where i'm coming from as well and you know uh it's uh it's strange to me that um you know this is less recognized when you have conversations with sometimes and people take things very personally or uh, they think that you're being hundred percent serious or, you know, like today I made a post on, um, yesterday was the marked the three year passing of, um, the Sopranos actor and Goodfellas actor, Frank Vincent. Yeah. Uh, you know who I'm talking about? 
Uh, yeah, but I, I've never watched The Sopranos, but I'm aware. Line, get your shine box. <laughs> okay. In The Goodfellas. You know what I'm Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go home and get your fucking shine box. <laughs> and then Joe Pesci's like, keep him here. Keep him here. Keep him here. And then, well, things happen. But so he died three years ago. And I love Frank Vincent. I've even read his book, A Guy's Guide to Being a, a Man's Man. I even read it on this podcast. And my buddy, Al, he like pointed out to me that someone had put a picture of him on Instagram, some fan page or something. And so I wrote, you know, RIP, you know, RIP, I'm glad he didn't get to see the Weinstein, the Weinstein stuff. <laughs> And, you know, I just pictured some Sopranos fan being like, what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> First of all, don't know. I don't want to have to explain why I say these things sometimes. Yeah. You know? And then secondly, it's like, I, like, I love the guy. I just think it's, I don't know, it just seemed like the right thing to say. <laughs> exactly. But there is, like, a subtle level of maybe he'd get me to <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? Anybody over the age of 70 could. Man, woman, uh, child. <laughs> a child over the age of 70 definitely getting me too. Oh, uh, yeah, Billy Barty. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do. Th- I kind of think like before the podcast, like uh, it was even harder to explain what the fuck I'm talking about. But at least now, like most people have listened to me talk for a thousand hours and kind of understand the nuances of my brain in a way that like is almost kind of scary. And that's why that night at the Monarch Tavern or just like now there's like probably a dozen people with Blink-155 tattoos from all around the world. Like it's like so fucked because I'm just like sitting here at this desk, not even looking at Sam, just like saying whatever comes into my head and just bullshitting. Right. Um, and then just, it's kind of scary to realize that people are listening actually. <laughs> I mean, we just, it's, we're, we're beholden to the song, to the songography. So we're like, we've every week where we talk about the song so in depth and we talk about it so much. I mean, we don't also don't really, we're like off topic most of the time, but I feel like we're saying goodbye to a song every week. Um, We're just talking about it and we're looking at it from different angles. We're, we're riffing. And then it's like, to me that the song is now like, I don't listen to Blink-182 anymore because I just do it once a week with Sam one song at a time. And then it's kind of just like I set it free or whatever. So there we're, we're catching up to how many songs they have. So, I mean, I assume we'll do something. We're not going to, I mean, I maybe not. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like we didn't think that we'd even make it this long. And so uh, we're running out of songs. So I don't know what, like, what can we really do? It's up to the band. What are the chances that they're going to put out like a five disc album? <laughs> I mean, it sometimes it feels like their people are like listening or like the, we'll like say something like we did like six. Actually, I think when you were on, we did a bunch of joke songs in a row and around the same time we wouldn't stop talking about ska music. And then they put out a ska remix of one of their joke songs, like <laughs> a couple weeks later. Like, I feel like they, they, they're at least aware of us. So maybe, maybe yeah. they'll do that. I mean, I think that's something that people don't realize about um, bands, maybe public figures a bit less, but especially bands is like super fans or things specifically about the band that aren't, you know, a newspaper article or something, but they're more like zines or 
or uh, fan club, you know, like Selena. Yeah. Selena got to hang out with her fan club president too much. <laughs> right. It's horrible. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this happens, uh, you know, there, there's a level of interaction very often uh, and, and attention paid uh, because essentially you want to keep that level of uh, enthusiasm alive for as much as possible about your work, I think, if, especially if you're Blink-182 and you're, you know, sucking off your corporate master's teeth. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's hard to tell if I'm like imagining things sometimes, but I really do feel like they're, they're like, sometimes it feels like they're paying crazy close attention or we've like tapped into some kind of subconscious uh, Blink-182 magic in the air. And that's what's happening. Is what, speaking of MAGA, is, is, uh, is, is Mark Hoppus uh, MAGA? I haven't really paid attention to what, no. I just know he's like an alien guy. That's Tom. Tom's an alien guy. Tom Hoppus? Tom DeLong is the alien Tom guy. Hoppus. Mark Hoppus is not MAGA, but he do, he loves uh, Kamala Harris, so he, he does love cop. They're a very pro-cop punk band. I mean, they're, you know, they're, like, the, the thing is, right, with me and Blink-182, and I know you're dying to hear the thing I told you in episode <laughs> 45, Can't Get You More Pregnant. Um, the one that I was on is, uh, you know, they just were a bit late in the game. I was already for me, I was already a, uh, basically a music snob, like, yeah, but not at the same time, you know, because it was the same era I was buying kid rock devil without a cause and, uh, WWF, the music volume three. I mean, those are two snob staples really. Well, especially at that time, you know, <laughs> like an irony, like not irony to me buying it, but like sheer balls. I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm totally the same way. And I think I was like, I was a huge snob when I was like 13 yeah. and then just kind of, I feel like me admitting that I love mainstream pop music has kind of been like this sort of healing inside of myself of admitting that I don't need to just be reading uh, music forums and, and being a nerd and being an expert about everything. So it's kind of been the opposite journey. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say uh, like I was going to shows and all this stuff. Maybe you were in the same boat. Like I realized from eighth grade on, like it's nuts. And I mean like shows at sneaky D's, you know, like right. places I, I shouldn't have been like there's pictures. <laughs> me you know like just uh like like with you know this punk band submachine with like a submachine shirt or something and you know i'm at i'm hanging out with other teens it's not right but you know also the drunk punk stuff is like arguably not as good but and and, and really it's not like i didn't like that kind of music but when i was 13 i got into like offspring smash i got into sort of dookie Whenever that was, maybe a year or two after, uh, you know, bad religion, recipe for hate, um, this type of thing. So by the time Blink One Eighty Two was out, I was already like, just more into like, you know, crazy frontman rock, like the yeah, laughing hyenas and and some eighties punk already, which is like obviously much better. Yeah, I mean it's. But that's kind of the funny thing. Someone, one of our listeners really described it well, which is like, and this is not on purpose on our part, but I think what we're doing is rather than looking at 
Blink-182 from the perspective of people who are like into cool things. We're actually kind of like looking at cool culture from the perspective of Blink-182. It's kind of like flipped on its head. Like, like this week we had Wes Icehold on from Cold Cave and American Nightmare and like he hates the band. And that's my favorite kind of guest to have, which is, I mean, you're among them too, is like, I like to have people on who like have never heard them, but just have to reckon with the fact that it's this cultural force that is a black hole that sucks everything in. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's not like I didn't. They were part of the culture that allowed me to buy WWF the music and Kid Rock, Devil with Right. You know, they were they were part of that escalating, cra- like uh, craziness. You know, jackass, like MTV surreal life world for sure. DJ AM world. <laughs> And, you know, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard to d- deny, in part because their videos made them look like they were made of plastic, if I recall. Like, they, <laughs> yeah. In all the videos, you know. And they're, they're, they're too good looking, I think, was one thing that really turned a lot of people off. Well, no, I mean, then it would be, you know, people with the Pet Shop Boys would be, wouldn't be popular. You know? <laughs> That's true, too. But no, I, yeah, maybe it is something like that. They were like, you know, even a band like Green Day um, had a bit of that. And that's why they were successful is like, maybe they weren't all hot or whatever, but they were all very individuals, much like you could trace it back to like Rolling Stones and the Beatles. Like you kind of need all the members to be on the same page if you're going to get like super huge, you know? Totally. On the same page to get like successful or... You know, Aerosmith, <laughs> well, I don't remember the name of the one guy, but Joey Kramer tries. But when you got Perry and Tyler on the front, you're in <laughs> category entirely. <laughs> entirely. Yeah, Steven Tyler's like beautiful, but just not, he doesn't look like, a, he's like a beautiful non-human looking kind of person. I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to hurt him, hurt his feelings, but I would throw him out a window. <laughs> I think he would be Jackie Chan's stuntman at this point. <laughs> you know, like the difference between Steven Tyler and Ryan O'Neal. <laughs> you might not know. I don't know who that is. He's a mess. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a thin line, but nobody talks about how t- Tyler's got some problems. <laughs> I mean, he acquired guardianship of a teen in the 1970s who he was dating. My good friend Drew, uh, who is at Rapping for Safety on Twitter, he he, I have a new podcast with him. He's kind of like he's like untouchably funny. Like I don't even know how to describe his, who he is or his sense of humor, but he's kind of one of a kind. But uh, he used to have a, sh- a show that I guessed it on. That's how I first met him, called the Stephen Tyler Book Club, where they read a different chapter of his uh, autobiography every week. He sounds like a real piece of shit. I met him. Uh... Once I was outside of the Eden Center heading to a job uh, as an usher at Massey Hall. And lo and behold, I step out of the Eden Center. Who is there? But Joey Kramer, drummer of Aerosmith. Other guy whose name I never remember. And Steven Tyler is behind them. But first I'm talking to Joey Kramer and I was like, yeah, you know, I've been listening a lot to, uh, to Rocks. And Toys in the Attic. Those are great records. And he's like, yeah, it was a real one-two punch. Yeah. yeah. Did you get smoke? 
<laughs> so then, hooked him up. And next thing you know, there's Stephen Tyler. He's got a big cigar and he's just like tiny. And he's like, where's Joey? What is Joey? And he was talking about Joe Perry, even though the other guy's name is Joey. So that gives you an idea of the dynamic between him and Joey Kramer, by the way. Right. <laughs> Joey Kramer's autobiography hit hard. You'll find out that they have a very long-standing unresolved relationship. But anyway, and that's what wound up with him kicked out of Aerosmith after he like broke his leg. They were like, you're done <laughs> years ago. That's like, that's, this is kind of like why people like me are able to exist is because like Aerosmith, a band that most people probably have never thought twice about in their lives that have this deep of a legacy. I mean, just like the worst bands have the funniest stories too. So it just goes on forever. Toxic twins. (laughs) I mean, don't you think it's weird that like, they didn't even tell Todd, like they didn't tell Liv Tyler that, Steven Tyler was her dad for a long time. <laughs> I didn't. Kind of a man with good character. <laughs> like Jesse James' illegitimate children knew earlier. Oh my God. Yeah. Jesse James. The outlaw James and the outlaw tattoo guy, Jesse James. Is he a tattooist? Yeah, I think, isn't he, wasn't he like a, didn't he get in trouble for having neo Nazi stuff? Yeah, probably. He was I think. Yeah, and then was he with Kat Von D too? Oh yeah, yeah. He's kind of like in the pop punk realm, I guess. Absolutely, he is. He's absolutely in that Kid Rock, Devil Without a Cause, WWF the Music Volume Two and Three. Although I think making with the Nazi memorabilia, he might be more of a kind of a true punk kind of guy. Why don't they call memorabilia a rememberabilia? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Make a lot more sense. But. Uh, yeah, um, uh, true punk. Yeah, I think those days are over where people would be like, Yeah, here, uh, you probably want to see this. This is, uh, I have a rare pressing of the Gigi Allen racist song. He had one racist song. <laughs> yeah. I've got, uh, oh, here, you know, Screwdriver had one good album. Yeah. But I've got all the other albums too. And, uh, check them out. And here's just a Nazi flag. I just. <laughs> I think that's literally the cultural pendulum that has swung the other way that now a Blink-182 podcast is successful. So I'm afraid when it swings back that way again, how dark things are going to get. Yeah, man. Nobody talks about it in the early 2000s. Everybody's, uh, uh, what is the, uh, nothing is true, everything is permitted to quote William Burroughs, who shot his wife and had a successful career afterward. <laughs> There's no such thing as cancel culture. Uh, you know, God does the canceling. <laughs> exactly. In jail. <laughs> uh, Trump will send us all to jail. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, that might be nice if we're all there. <laughs> Good point. Um, <laughs> so why did you move to Montreal from Calgary? Tell me all about it. I don't know. Calgary sucks. I hate Calgary a lot. I didn't like living there. Um, And it just worked out. I mean, I think ultimately everyone wants to live in a place like Montreal, but some, we just, we're just blessed that we both are able to work out here. And uh, that's why, I mean, it's nothing really, 
another thing is actually we did a Blink 150 live in Montreal last summer. Uh-huh. Uh, and it turns out like the entire city listens to the podcast. Like my, when, once I moved in, my mailman listened to the podcast. Like, oh, so cool. <laughs> yeah, like everyone. So it's kind of, it was actually a lot easier to move here because, uh, I mean, I just can say something on the podcast and then it'll, it'll manifest itself. It's too much power. What sponsors? We try, you know, we've tried like, we've tried every kind of like podcast sellout thing to do. We we're talking to a, a big Canadian podcast network that no longer exists. I don't think. And, (laughs) and, uh, and we've talked to, to sponsors. We've tried to get ads and stuff. Every time we try to sell out with this project, it doesn't work. But ultimately, it's like we just kind of treat it like it's a DIY band. And, and that means I do everything. And Sam just relaxes. So. Think, yeah, the DIY band is he's the lead singer and you're the uh, <laughs> I don't know, bassist. I'm everything else, basically. Right. The Ray Manzarek. But that's like why it, that's, I think why it works is because it's the same way that you feel like you can talk to somebody in a band after their set or whatever. It's like everyone knows they can just DM the podcast account and I'm the, like, people like that kind of like grittiness, I think. Yeah, but um, it's messed up, right? Because it's like now that sort of exists on a surface level, I think with a lot of celebrity culture, with a lot of public figures, like I've been thinking about it, you know, the Instagram direct message system is like, you can honestly message anybody. And a lot of people check their messages or, you know, sex pest women seems to be the main use of it. If a woman hits up any, like if you have yeah. a, as the honey pot, <laughs> that's maybe that's how we'll get Tom DeLong on our podcast. Finally, we can do it or get an, someone to pose as an alien in the DMS. <laughs> Hey, what's up? This is BB. <laughs> BB and Jennifer, a old Canadian show. Uh, I actually DM Tom DeLong so many times because I've, I've, it's my my white whale to quote the book that you are not telling. Um, but uh, <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Moby Dick. This podcast is sponsored by the crime portion. <laughs> um i d i dm tom delong so many times that i my dms were taken away from me on instagram for a little while i had to write them and be like i'm sorry i'll stop dming tom delong i didn't know that they could do that they can't yeah if you do it too much they'll they'll punish you so you got to be careful we should punish them (laughs) we should sick of this shit why are we on social media being like, oh, hey, I'm so glad I have Twitter. Uh, you know, what's wrong with Twitter? Oh, you know, they've just sort of poisoned politics in a way where you feel both em- disempowered, but empowered and only speaking to people who agree with you. Um, and then Instagram won't even take people off for ra- racist accounts anymore. And it's like, and Facebook, which owns Instagram, is... It's like ruined everything. I know it's crazy, but DIY on it. (laughs) It's also just so fun to go on social media. It's the bomb. (laughs) It's so fun, you know, using my ideas, having them get no traction. (laughs) What else? Uh, Seeing my friends, uh, they getting validated. 
what they do while I do. <laughs> Learning who's purchased a home. <laughs> Why do you, you know, like, there's partying in Montreal right now. That's what's crazy to me. Is I've seen people I know in Montreal are posting pictures of them partying at wherever, Fufoons, somewhere. There is, yeah, I know. And there's like, there's parties happening, I think, in warehouses and stuff too. I'm seeing people constantly walking around. But the thing is, I, I, I'm sober and I just like podcast all the time. So, I, I mean, basically, I'm here just to like eat delicious food and then come back to my podcasting hole. I mean, look, my friend has the exact same thing, except he doesn't even podcast. He moved to Montreal uh, from Toronto. He, they, they, they had a house and they sold it. And then you could basically buy a place in Montreal, you know, like a flat or whatever. Uh, and now he's there to primarily to eat. But, yeah. You know, a lot of the plans that people have for this like mythical move to Montreal get a bit dashed when there's a global pandemic that reduces travel to nil because I think he was really counting on skipping the winter, which as a person from Calgary, you're probably like, well, it's marginally better in Montreal. It's actually worse. Like the, the humidity makes it fucking insane out here compared to – Calgary is so dry, you don't even – like, I don't know. And also you, you're just – and, and Montreal and Ottawa are just like nightmares the way that – It's crazy. It's And the summer is also a nightmare, but it's just so beautiful here and the food is so good you don't really notice. So. I like the summer in Montreal. It's just that I think that the flats aren't like – I'm going to keep calling them flats. <laughs> It's very British of you. The flats. <laughs> flats of dubious. Where you're from, living. Where you're living from. Where you're from. I think I could probably start saying I'm from here. I mean, the, some stores have closed since we've moved in, and we've been like, oh, there goes the neighborhood, you know? Right. Finally starting to feel that kind of com complaining about the potholes and stuff. Not that I drive, but. Look at that pothole. Yeah, just pointing at it. That's Damn, that was that would suck to drive over that pothole. When did you move there? Uh, a year. It's been a year. It's been September first, twenty nineteen. So literally half of the time has been the pandemic. No, that was when my friend moved there too. Well, there you go. Might have actually been the year before, but you get it. <laughs> it's not a lull. I want to put that out there. <laughs> Added a lull in the podcast. <laughs> uh, a lot about my uh, attention span in that there's a half second where, and I thought that might be a lull. That's what it's like with Sam and I too, because we're both just like com competing to get our thoughts in. We, we never stop talking over each other um, and there's never a lull. But then Drew, who I mentioned earlier, I have a new show with him um, and it's because I want to get like, so much patreon money that people get angry at me and that you know i want to get canceled for being too successful and we noticed the way to do that is to be canadians with an an american politics podcast um <laughs> are basically, you are you uh subtweeting the surfs right now who are very entertaining youtubers i don't know i don't, I don't even i don't know who that is but they are a, a youtube channel that's really good Okay. Well, we just kind of noticed that like a lot of people we know, they like to, instead of like actually talking about the issues, you just kind of change some words to have hell in them and say like that it's a hell world that we're living in. And also uh, say, say the word guillotine all the time. So we started a podcast called Globe Hell Warning, which 
it's like I get, it takes a long time to to sink in. I'm going to give a little spoiler here that it is a play on global warming. Yeah, hell, um, warning. That's like a band I liked as a kid called Polita Kill Kill was in all caps in core core was in all caps act and <laughs> kill Polita Kill incorrect and then also it was kind of a subtle kill core which I don't know what it means but we thought it was very cool yeah i mean i love it because it's i love the name globe hell warning because it's like it sounds terrible to say out loud it's almost impossible to hear it without it being spelled out to understand what it is um but i i host it with drew basically every week we imagine a different kind of like way to fix the world essentially but it's easily the dumbest thing i've ever done in my life it's completely off the rails and stupid but drew is the kind of guy who can just like he, he sort of has this like Rick Moranis vibe to him, I would say. Um, but he has this ability to just like let the, let all of the oxygen just sit in the conversation. Like he'll just sit there and I'll say something to him and he'll be silent for 30 seconds. And somehow it's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. Oh, it's the best. Not talking rocks. <laughs> it's really good. But yeah, he's a funny Twitterer and tell me more about this podcast, Globe Hell Warning, Warming, Warning. Warning, Globe Hell Warning. Um, well, I guess the it's kind of like uh, the first episode was the idea of building a worldwide train, just a train that connects the entire world. Um, okay. and, have, <laughs> uh, and then from there, we just kind of been building with different worldwide ideas every week. And uh, this isn't a joke, actually. The singer of the band Fun, that American pop band, they're, they're pretty famous like 10 years ago he's fucking obsessed with our podcast for some reason. he's like one of the first people to ever it's still a very new thing but the singer fun is absolutely obsessed with our podcast wild stuff why does he like it does he like blink 155 or is he, he writing all of your other work or he doesn't he does for safety twitter account i think it's that i think he found us through just like like drew is also a twitch streamer but like it's very like it's like very like he's like an underground twitch streamer did I hurt your ears there? <laughs> no, it's, it cut out. It was fine. I love gaming. Oh, my God. You got to get into it. Actually, Drew's obsessed with, uh, with dethroning Billy Mitchell from The King of Kong. And, and so he practices his Donkey Kong skills on Tusk Thursdays, which is when he listens to Fleetwood Mac Tusk and, uh, and streams Donkey Kong. Ooh, I like to play. Uh, you asked, so I'll tell you. I like <laughs> Wonder Boy and Monsterland lately, the Sega Master System Joy. Uh, oh, wow. Really, really fun Link, Adventures of Link style game, but better. And I'm playing Fantasy Star 4 for Sega Genesis. I'm playing Shining Force 2 for Sega Genesis. I'm messing with uh, Street Fighter 4, classic. Street Fighter Alpha 3 for Dreamcast. I'm messing around. Wow. You And they're all real cartridges? No. But some of them are. Shining Force 2 is. You, you fuck with uh, emulators? Oh, yeah. I, my thing is, like, whenever I would have a system and, and, under, and learn that uh, it could be hacked, then I would always do that and load, like, every emulator on it. And it would be such a fun project to hack it and then, like, add, like, 3,000 games to it and then just never play any of them. Yeah, well, that's the thing is, you know, you get, you get these emulators and there's such a wealth of choice that you wind up not really playing new games. Plus it feels weird. It does feel kind of weird playing like a completely 
fresh game to you on a system uh, on like a fake system but i do have like sega genesis super nintendo all that stuff yeah so yeah i do you can also plug in a playstation controller to your computer and play later so it, it, it's quite fun you got to become a streamer i think is the that's the next wave i would love to i've kind of tried to but it's like i get so focused on it i don't talk that much i know and we like we do blink 155 streams where we'll like watch a movie or watch like some blink 182 related content but it's like you're watching that and you're trying to read the chat and you're talking to each other it's like the most exhausting thing i've ever done and it seems kind of like an actual prison sentence if you get good at streaming because you have to stream like every day to make it I don't know. I mean, do do the do they start as monsters or do they do they become monsters? That's the question, right? Like, was PewDiePie ever well? <laughs> That's true. I don't know. I mean, with a with, look, if your parents are sick in the head enough to give you a name like PewDiePie, you're not going to turn out okay. You're going to call him PewDiePie <laughs> because, unfortunately, our uh, other family friends they called their son Gustav and. Uh, Gustav, of course, grew to be the little peep man, and now, <laughs> unfortunately, he is done with. <laughs> His potential had been realized, and he was an incredible, incredible. I'm serious. I think, like, the little peep kind of thing, too, is, like, just the accidental timing of our podcast. I think that helps, as well as, like, Blink-182 has this relevance that no one ever would have expected well the fact is that blink 182 seemed like they had a resurgence very similar uh very uh closely timed with your podcast it's it's true you're in that psychic ball oh, i just showed some sweat um, <laughs> zoom with you but uh yeah you, you totally timed it right like a, a comedian who you might have even had on the podcast a guy who i i think is great and i i knew someone in, in la whitmer thomas you know yeah. Uh, he has a special on HBO now. Like, he had an entire bit, you know, about like how Blink One Eighty Two sings songs. And maybe have you had? Wh- he like- was on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. He rules. And I think also, in terms of the comedic aspect of Blink One Eighty Two, that was like the height of it. But now, unfortunately, you can just like say Tom DeLonge as like there's like meme accounts and stuff where they just it's it's just like an easy joke now to say Blink One Eighty Two. And I saw like. Uh, Pauly Shore posted on his Instagram like a really shitty like 10 years later bastardized version of Whitmer Thomas's uh, Blink-182 bit. And it's so sad to see something like that die, but it has to happen, I guess. It always happens. I mean, it's like, you know, there was one year where the Arthur jokes got, the Arthur memes got killed, um, uh, uh, right? Yeah, 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 totally. And this year it's, uh, and then the SpongeBob one is so over. The one where it's SpongeBob, but they like twist the capital like it's gross yeah. <laughs> yeah now it's like you'll see uh you know trump is basically doing it although you know uh definitely ben shapiro has done stuff like that so. <laughs> right yeah i mean that's just kind of what happens with culture like and i think that's another thing that people get offended by with me sometimes where uh you know, it's like the classic thing where people complain about hipsters, whatever that is. But like when you, when think you like things, and then they kind of have a shelf date, and then you're kind of like sick of it or whatever. But I just think culture works like that. Like things just get stale and boring, and then you move on. I hope you're enjoying the talk with Josiah. It's filling you with love 
and maybe desire. But here is the thing, if it ain't got that swing, it's because the electricity got turned off. That's right, we hear it, Flanico. Uh, I have bills to pay, and those bills gotta be paid. If we don't pay the bills, the bills pay us a visit in the form of bill collectors. And they say, hey, what's up? And I go, I don't know, who are you looking for? And they go, Nick. And I say, don't know him. And they go, you're wearing a shirt that says Nick. And I say, well, th- what? It doesn't mean anything. And, they go, and then I say, well, how likely it would be that somebody was wearing a shirt that said their name anyway. And they go, okay, try again tomorrow. So you've been, I get a reprieve, but I'm just saying that's through my smarts. And if you want me to not have to use my smarts, donate to the podcast, ko-fi.com slash Nick Flanagan or patreon.com slash Nick Flanagan. We, I constantly say this, we will be updating it with lots of stuff. In fact, I'm going to try to get some episodes, uh, some exclusives for you. And uh, I know it's a tough time financially. So obviously, if you can't do it, please keep enjoying this content. But I do try to put out like two to three episodes a week. And uh, I try to get an interview for you every single week. And and Andy Lloyd, our producer, uh, does lots of work on that. So, you know, if you can help, that's great. There are costs. I don't like that it's COVID and I, with a mask and everything, have to go to the office at my mom's house to record episodes. I'd rather do that at a little office. So if I could ever, if I manage to make some some money, if we can get our monies up, I will be in a different office space. Anyway, that's all well and good. And you're well and good. So now back to the talk with Josiah Hughes. Yeah, I mean... You know, things uh, like I'm kind of stuck. I get stuck on things, you know, so it's like when my band was more was active, you know, there were a lot of there was like part punk, uh, like, you know, 80 punk influence stuff was really popular. And that's pretty much where I end with a lot of bands now. Like and but but beyond that, like there was this weird punk phenomenon. Yeah. It's called Weird Punk, and most of that is not stuff I listen to anymore. There was Blank Dogs and, uh, you know, uh, what are some... I mean, Jay Retard was kind of in that mix, but it was like... Yeah, like, well, I wrote a thing for Exclaim. It's were a band that was back then, you know. Totally. And, like, all the Vancouver bands, like uh, White Long and New Sensei and... Uh... Yeah, that was sort of in that ballpark. But But the one that I still listen to is called Pink Reason. And, uh, you know, Pink Reason, I don't even listen to that much Pink Reason, but they had a seven inch with the song uh, called Down on Me and By a Thread, as well as a cover of The Devil Always Wins. And it's like, I could listen to that a million times. So I think that it's like the cream, there, there is stuff that lasts within trends uh, of things, you know, but, but being generally over it, you know, being generally over, you know, listening to Hey There Delilah, for fun because it's a well put together song but annoying it's over smash mouth all-star done i mean that yeah that now that's a that's interesting one because i think it's been memed to death and when i've like when when youtube first came out like in like 2007 or something i did a shirtless like really shitty cover of smash mouth all-star that i put on youtube kind of like as an early troll um 
and it and it worked like it, at least by that by standards back then it got like thousands and thousands and thousands of views of people like hating on me for doing such a bad cover of smash mouth with no shirt on um but i think that meme has been beaten to death but i also feel like something maybe it's because smash mouth is still alive and active like it's still keeps having legs because I mean, they keep getting into fights with people. They like killed someone died from going to their show that they played during COVID the other week. Like, it's like, they're just kind of immortal. Um, yeah. I mean, that's sort of the other side of what you're talking about is just because you, something gets played out and you walk away from it. Doesn't mean that it doesn't get like revived. Yeah. True. Things just don't, you know, one, one of the things I've learned from living is that things don't um, go away. They don't exist in a vacuum while you intake them. And then yeah, that's true. Disappear. They're not, cons- culture is not consumed like snacks, you know, <laughs> it's not gone when you're done with it. And, and so you can come back to it, to the buffet, the perfect buffet. Hell Yeah. I thought a new, a new Brutal Nights album could be called The Shame Remains. <laughs> a reference to our album, Feast of Shame, if we ever get back together. Are you making music at all now? Not really, but uh, I have a keyboard and acoustic guitar here. And, and so it's, it's something I, it, it's on the list of things to do. But I honestly, I don't know what I, I mean, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in life right now. It's very confusing. You know, yeah. is freelancing is is music journalism. Is that still something that's like easy for you to do? Or are you also doing cultural stuff and film? Like, yeah, like I actually work full time at Exclaim, so I've kind of like I do our social media and film and music. But I feel like even ten or twenty years ago, people would have a very specialized area in cultural criticism where they would just like become an expert of one thing and they'd spend two weeks on an article or whatever. Um, And now it's just like, we're all so busy. It's just like utter chaos all the time. I personally think that, you know, a lot of like old head writers hate that lifestyle, but I kind of love it because it's like, I don't even have a choice to have writer's block ever because I just have to get shit done all the time. And it's made me a better writer and it's made me a little bit quicker but does it make you a better researcher? Like this is the thing. Yeah, exactly. Those are, but, but I don't really think that like, you know, posting about an album announcement or about like, definitely there are areas where you need research, but, but so much pop culture stuff is so superficial anyways, that treating it so preciously just makes everything more pretentious in my opinion. Well, I think, I think in the world of pitch, like I think probably pitchfork era stuff, like, killed the idea of word count because so much of it was not about musical research but was about researching you know like some historical event and then paralleling it with like the second mgmt album you know (laughs) it's 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 just a waste of our brain cells but like for instance this 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 guy was a big supporter of my bands but was wrote for now magazine for a long time tim perlick like I love this guy's vast knowledge of of music, uh, and and I just worry, you know, sometimes with pithiness and the various reasons, uh, you know, articles having a lot of errors. Like, yeah, I, for sure, it's definitely I see in every online article is yeah brutal. You know, I know it's definitely uh, a give and take, but I think that a lot of those errors exist 
whether or not you're spending forever researching something or not. It's more about just like, you know, what I'm kind of saying is that I feel like the pace of it has for me personally just kind of made me better at writing stuff and knowing that like spotting errors quicker and stuff. It's kind of like a grind that it has been valuable for me, but I definitely see the problem. You also live in a bit of an editorial context then right now, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a, that's a bit of a different uh, thing as well. And, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm not trying to say that you're making tons of typos. I've always thought exclaim some, one of my favorite things about exclaim magazine specifically uh, was just that it, it, it kind of, lived somewhere in that um, Maxim Rock and Roll uh, review style where it was really just about laying out what something was rather than sometimes highlighting your own opinion of it, if that makes sense. Although opinion's always been a big part of it, I just always feel like I would read it and it would like properly describe what I would be hearing or seeing. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of the other weird thing in general, even outside of Exclaim is like, what is the purpose of a review now? Cause it used to be to drive you to buy something or not buy something. But now like, what is the purpose of it? Because if people want to, if people want to have like engage with opinions about something, they can just post their own opinion or read other people's opinions on social media. And I think a lot of people kind of hate like the expertise that comes across sometimes too. So it's been a really interesting time in my own life watching these things evolve. And I think what I try to do, especially with like high profile releases, when I, when I review like a movie, like, or like I reviewed the Hamilton musical movie or things like that, it's like, I'll spend a lot of time making sure that it's like entertaining as its own piece of writing as well as describing. the. Yeah, that, that, that is important. Although, you know, I remember that was something I tried to do with my, when I was writing reviews of stuff. And I also did try to do that, like clear description of what was happening, especially with live reviews. Yeah. I just thought it was ludicrous to go to concerts and there's like a thousand people at the concert loving it. And then being like, uh, actually, you know, they weren't really hitting the right notes. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I mean, I know that kind of means every review is going to be like, the crowd went wild. <laughs> well, actually, I in my career, like when I used to work at Fast Forward Weekly too, people would always complain that my live reviews, I would be describing the audience too much and like describing what they're wearing and describing the atmosphere. But I personally think that's way more interesting than, yeah, whether or not the mix was okay or whatever. I totally agree. And I think that that stuff locks music into um, some context of people and music has to exist, you know, because of other people, you know, it's not like, yes, we entertain ourselves by playing the flute in the cave, <laughs> but ultimately when Sasquatch hears that note coming out of the cave, he comes in and he sees you. And, he, and then the Sasquatch has to decide if he's a mod or a rocker at that moment. So he's a mod or rocker, and then the Monster Mash <laughs> starts playing. <laughs> and the, here's the thing about the Monster Mash, you have to remember. Very calm song. <laughs> Much calmer than you might remember. <laughs> it's not like, I was working in the lab. No, it's, <laughs> I was working in the lab. Late one night, you know, very, uh, 
I think I've really showcased my broad accents. It's really good. Yeah, your voice acting career is going to skyrocket. Well, maybe not because of the... I feel like I didn't mean to be harsh about Lil Peep. I, I think Lil Peep's great. And Yeah. I mean, there's a the thing about context, too. Like, I actually didn't really like Lil Peep very much when I first heard it. Ratchet bitches, cocaina. Ratchet bitches, cocaina. <laughs> And I love, I love like the worst music. I host a Blink-182 yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but Blink-182, I mean, what I love about Lil Peep, sorry, I'm interrupting. But oh, go ahead. I just to say, I love, sorry, wow. <laughs> I love that he took influences of, that were music that I didn't really like and then kind of put them in a context in music that although I didn't enjoy all of it, I really appreciated some songs. And I was like, wow, like this doesn't necessarily make me like Blink-182 or Linkin Park more, but it makes me appreciate how much they mean to people. And one of the first times I had that happen was with the Deftones. Like I saw them. Oh yeah. I saw them at Wakestock in Toronto and I was like to review. And I was like, they're not, you know, like they're fine, but people love the the Deftones and they, they have a relationship with Deftones like they do with, you know, uh, Pearl Jam or something. Like they just true. forever and they have a familiarity with their music, not getting back to critics, that a critic could never match, you know? And, and yeah. it, I, I think trying to deny people to connect with something seems like not a good, like way and that's not necessarily what being a critic means and no. yet at the same time you know there is a huge issue now with critics being um not a huge issue but there's an issue where uh critics get called out by artists whose then fan base starts getting on them and critics are just people who are getting paid like fifty dollars to write something and i mean i wrote something that was positive about someone and she personally wrote all this stuff and suddenly everyone's saying I hate, you know, people and stuff. And it's just, it's, it's, it's been, it's been kind of fucked to see like this being the year that Taylor Swift released an indie album. Uh, and then all these like pitchfork gave it like a seven or something, but all these Taylor Swift fans were like, well, you, in, you reviewed it as if it's a pop album, but you guys need to learn more about the history of indie. If you're going to review this Taylor Swift indie album, <laughs> so much like scolding right right now <laughs> yeah it's insane and i think that's why i just love to just make fun of everything it feels it feels nice and everyone has a nice time with it if, if you if you work within like what feels morally okay with you like i try not to be too mean but just kind of from a place of love roast stuff um i think it's okay but what i was going to say about little peep was it's such a poser thing to say, but Lil Peep really made sense to me after I watched the documentary about I mean, him. Really good documentary. And, and it's important if you don't understand what a compelling person he was uh, as a performer, but, uh, but it's just as a sort of presence, you know, uh, that I feel like that makes it clear that he was very compelling and he really s spoke to, you know, a, a great deal of people. Uh, again, it was a right place, right time with him. I feel like, you know, Riff Raff was such a scumbag. Nobody wanted that anymore. And then you get a guy who's kind of like 
nice riff rap. Yeah, he's like more earnest. Like I feel yeah. like th- there's something about Little Peep that is ironic, but it's not self-aware. He doesn't understand what's ironic about it. And I also just love. I didn't really realize how much he had pulled from like K Records and stuff too, which is totally my shit. And that's really Record cool. Man. It's like uh, like the Calvin Johnson, Olympia Washington, uh, late early mid to late nineties indie stuff, like stuff and built to spill and this type of thing. Yeah, he like sampled a bunch of that kind of shit, and he sampled. Uh, yeah, he sampled like Rose Melberg, who did our show the week that she found out that she was going to be on the Little Peep, uh, like post posthumous uh, LP and stuff. So yeah, I mean, he definitely like. I think his mom was like really into like twee and indie pop stuff, and that's why there's it goes deeper than just like '90s alternative radio rock. I want to tell you good stuff. This is a very good album. It's <laughs> called uh, Heavens to Beats. <laughs> a huge kick out of it but if you make music you can say the b word <laughs> i mean you know i i think that with we should keep talking about little peep for sure um little peep like his lyrics sometimes just being having been through so many iterations of of party music or you know music of controversial music or whatever like you know, when I'm in decade five of like bitches and cocaine and like kind of thing, you don't, you, you kind of get sick of it, you know, from, from new artists. But I think there's such a nihilism to the way he was talking about that, that it, it, it sort of lets, it, it makes me understand it. And then when he, it's like Tupac, right? Like he slides in these very emotionally resonant lines here and there. And it, 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 uh, it, it kind of, takes the sting out of like all the sort of you know boring stuff or whatever you know yeah yeah i mean i feel like it's almost like uh looking at like hardcore music or something where from a distance it's all identical and everything's exactly the same but then it's like the little nuances that make it interesting like well peep definitely sounds like a bad impression of rap music at first yeah but (laughs) you hear like other soundcloud stuff or uh, you know and it's not anywhere near that not that he's soundcloud stuff yeah but he was i don't even say that stuff to be insulted insulted when you call them that <laughs> i don't remove you music my friend <laughs> um but you i'm sorry i have a, 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 like just like one or two more things yeah sure so you know like blink 155 you've had lots of different guests you've had like uh you know, did you have Brace Belden on it? We did have Brace Belden on uh, early on, before True Anon. I feel like a lot of people come on the show and then start a podcast right after. Yeah, well, I mean, Brace probably was, uh, you know, always poised to do so, you know. <laughs> it's true. The Chapo set. <laughs> Chapo guys. We've had Felix on, yeah. Oh, yeah, Felix. The Golden Sun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, have you had, I like, instead of asking, it's just, yeah, ask if I've had them, just the checklist. Have you had any members of the band fucked up on the show? Yes, we've had Ben and Damien on the show. Have you had any members of uh, Burger Records family on there? Um, I don't them. We did have Peach Kelly Pop on the show. I think she was, she might've done some stuff with Burger early on, unfortunately. She's one of the only people associated who's okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, and Colleen Green also. Actually, uh, Colleen did, uh, she covered Dude Ranch by Blink-182 in its entirety, and then her hard drive crashed. Um, and then she came on the show and we begged her, and then and then she had the push needed to redo it. So she did release, she's covered Dude Ranch entirely in her Colleen Green bass style. Um, but yeah, fuck Burger Records. And this, no, not everyone knew how shitty it was when they were. No, not at all. I mean, I didn't even really know anything about Burger Records particularly. When I lived in LA, there was uh, this tape and record shop called Nar Burger. It seemed fine. And, uh, you know, Burger put out a couple, they put out so much stuff that, you yeah. know, it always, you know, you can't really shoot down like every release, but you can certainly shoot down that like stupid stupid lame culture which you know i'm never interested in uh i'm just not a type of person who like fits in 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 most environments like it's just like once things start feeling like a pronounced group i feel uncomfortable um that being said r.i.p to wade uh wade allison of iron age the austin who i met through punk were always including wade were like so accepting of me immediately and uh that was really meaningful and they didn't have any expectations i feel of like conforming you know totally so um i i do think that that era of hardcore that i was in there were uh there was a little less of there being a like consistent vibe which unfortunately lent itself to you know, a lot of other problems, but, uh, yeah, like burger sounds like it was just like toxic from the top down. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, there's, it's weird almost to even try to prescribe it, but I feel like once there can be a costume or a uniform that everyone wears, then it's a lot easier for like posers or people with nefarious, uh, desire, like just people with the wrong intentions can get involved easier because they can just dress the part so easily. Yeah, and I mean, rock music has, for so, for so many people, it has been an excuse to like have wanton sex all over with people, you know, and just like try to scheme because you're traveling and it is uh, brutal and it is kind of locks you in a uh, mentality or in, in in loneliness or whatever. Not that that justifies anything. But I'm just saying, like, like a lot of people are just in there so they can scum it up from town to town. And I asked my mom's friend Gilda the other day. We were weeding, we were weeding for Gilda, because she broke her elbow. And I'm I, Gilda. Gilda, who's the most famous person you ever met? She says she was the president of the Bill Haley and the Comets fan club. <laughs> and I was. <laughs> It's like, so the most famous person you ever met, you met at the dawn of your life. (laughs) And Bill Haley. And she was saying that, you know, she immediately quit that fan club when she went backstage and they were like totally gross. So in other words, like rock and roll was practically invented for fingering, you know? And it's like, we got to remember that. We got to remember that and we got to, go classical yeah it's we i've always kind of taken pause when when people say they're doing things like they're like i do this to meet girls or whatever it's like 
I've just never had that kind of, I, I just kind of do things because I want to have a giggle with my friends. It's kind of my main motivator in yeah. life. Same here. I mean, that was like never uh, a point. I mean, there was definitely like a need for people to be like, hey, I like what you're doing. And, you know, yeah. from there, you know, anything happened. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, the point is to have fun, but not in a way that's completely brainless, if that makes any sense, or like lends itself to hero worship, which is probably has a lot to do with when I um, came up, you know, is that a lot of people were very accessible and a lot of the stuff I liked was very self-made and, you know, music, like you were saying with DIY, music didn't really become, music from that side of things didn't really seem like it was as obsessed with being a functional business, you know, especially right. in the world. Ironically, really until like the time period where my band was doing stuff and then bands like fucked up were sort of able to make a living. Jay Retar was able to make a living. I'm sorry if someone's hearing this name for the first time. <laughs> There's an A in there. Uh, he, and he's no longer here to read the think pieces that would have come out about his name. Uh, yeah, he'd be deeply canceled. Yeah, big time. Um, but you're part of, I feel like you also, even though you're writing about music and stuff, like it was funny watching Blink-155 escalate and your presence in something like what they might call weird Twitter or like the world of like Chapo stuff, like sort of super ironic humor, you know, uh, it just felt like that was what was... Um, you were becoming more and more part of that world, whatever that world is. Calling it a world might not be accurate. <laughs> no, that's <Yes>. free. <laughs> it's more of a more of a land. A land. <laughs> to use to use the Mario uh, naming conventions. Yes, your gameplay <laughs> level. Um, I think the secret is that I've pretty much always wanted to do comedy and I've always been too afraid to actually do it. Um, and so everything I write and everything I do and all the music I made when I was in bands and stuff, I've just always been trying to make jokes the whole time. Um, and so when I was able to sort of see on Twitter, like, Oh, these people aren't like, cause I always hated that kind of like the older generation being like, you have to go to, 25 open mics a night and you have to suck every time and then in seven years you'll be a comedian and i was like i i like to, i'm too lazy for that kind of shit i just want to dick around online also um, in alberta and the west it, it doesn't really you know there's there's a pretty finite amount of places to do stand up every night right <laughs> yeah and they are there in fact i came very close like i started going to open mic nights a little bit just to watch um and it was like so like this is like not not long ago enough to justify how many endless rape jokes there were um it was just i was like this i feel like this is not the community for me but i feel like it, it it's almost like in the same way that like fucked up bridged the hardcore scene with the pitchfork world i feel like twitter has made it so that everyone can come together and find their own voice for like weird out there comedy that not everyone gets but i feel like i'm sort of halfway between like 
earnest, pedantic stand-ups. <laughs> you know, desperate Canadian stand-up. Twitter. Uh, weird Twitter. Punk Twitter. Bot Twitter. <laughs> podcaster Twitter. <laughs> Self-promo Twitter. Self-promo all the time Twitter. Uh, promoted tweet Twitter. Where was I? Doctor Twitter. Professor Twitter. <laughs> Michael Twitter. Travis Twitter. And, uh, you know, it just is... Uh, I, I never feel like I quite fit in is what I mean because I feel like I never get jokes. It's quite ironic. You know, like if people are being like kind of funny, sometimes I'll be like, what? Right. <laughs> do like a double take, you know? And I also think... I mean, talk about played out. Like, as soon as something becomes, you know, check notes, checks notes. Oh, I hate that shit. Checks so notes. Much. You know, um, like, I'm just trying to think of one. It, it, they all kind of stem from funny, ironic Twitter, and then they get bad. Like, this ain't it, homie, or whatever. Yeah, or like the just anything that's written in, like, line breaks, like it's from a screenplay. It's just always bad. Um, but it's kind of like, I think it ties in for me, what I was saying about, uh, being a critic too, and just having to write so much all the time is like, and doing the podcast for so many hours a week. I feel like I'm so in touch with my subconscious that I don't even remember half of what I've, like, I'll go at the end of the week, I'll look back through and be like, I wrote all this shit on here. Like, I don't remember any of this. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I get into that too, but you know, it's all becoming, it's all weird. Cause it's like, there's always draft folder. Draft folder. <laughs> Oh, when they added the draft folder to the, uh, what is it, like mobile Safari, and I didn't, not having that uh, app, <laughs> didn't need it, and I could just use my Safari Twitter. Oh, God, that was, <laughs> that was an orgasm day. I, I don't use the draft folder. I just think, like, I, if, if the thought pops into my head and I think about tweeting it, I just tweet it, and half the time it's awful, but uh, I don't know. I just think... <laughs> I just feel like Twitter should just be like just endless shit stream of of thoughts. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, I, I can't handle it. You know what? It is weird seeing comedians implode like in ways you wouldn't expect. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. No, I mean, not to bring her up. I interviewed her not long ago for Bandcamp. Uh, Jen Kirkman, I guess it was three years ago. It's like, do you follow Jen Kirkman? I every once in a while I'll look at her her tweets and it's quite interesting. She's a very funny comedian, you know, and and uh, she really is. And and but something happened where she started thinking Bernie was like a ghost, you know, like an evil ghost. Bernie Sanders. Was right. Like, oh yeah, like a like a bot. Yeah, from Russia, and and she's just you know always sort of writing, but idiot. Sarah's it's, just walking by to get her switch from from the charger. It's okay. Say hi. She's gone. She's long gone. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's been like, and that's the other thing. And that's kind of what we're trying to like, I guess, maybe riff on a little bit from Globe Hell is like just how easy it is to just like say the word Putin. And then all of a sudden you have like a special or whatever. I mean, the amount of comedy that just immediately turned into – how dare you, Mr. Trump? Like the amount of late night comedy, you know, is just uh, just deeply, 
demoralizing you know it's yeah it's, exactly yeah it's not like they don't even try to write jokes anymore um it's it's really weird and then and then on top of that it's like it's a lot of the stuff that i think is funny is a little bit too removed from like any reality and then it winds up attracting like really negative people or being really negative like ultimately i've met so many cool people not cool but people who i respect especially online you know who are like oh yeah million dollar extreme it's it's really funny sam hyde's actually really funny and like i do yeah i do think that sam hyde ultimately there is like yeah he's like funny i guess but he fucking went loopy a while ago and he hit like the owen benjamin thing and it's like uh, you know I, I i get it i don't even i don't i don't even totally hate what's going on there but it's just uh, like like i don't know i shouldn't we i'm probably going to take out all this milk <laughs> right yeah it's confusing cuz i remember being excited by the idea of it when it first came out because it was just so antithetical to the like it just it just feels like i guess alternative comedy became easily definable like we're talking about and became like it's so easy to just like do some post-timonary kind of shit and then that felt like something dangerous but it was dangerous in a really bad way it was dangerous in a bad way and it was um it was weird because you know something like mde is like I feel like a little connected to it just because I mean, I have watched a bunch of that stuff. Like it was a train wreck and I was, I was watching it as it was all happening. And, and like both the uh, articles or whatever, and you know, his streams and stuff. And he would like show his like music collection and he'd have like clock cleaner in there. And I'd go, Oh, okay. Like, I know clock cleaner. I know the kind of guy you are now. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I know the world you're in and your Rhode Island, your, uh, your, your Philadelphia, like, you're just like, uh, uh, you know, like a lot of people I know who just have no, uh, uh, compu- compunction in terms of, uh, being kind or editing yourself, you know? And, uh, but, but then also, uh, yeah, I, I, they even linked to like my comedy thing I, I did once on like their web, their old website. They had like a link to this. I'm here all week cartoon I made with these guys called Famicom. We do stuff together called Wayne Stop now. Uh, weird animation stuff. And so I understand, you know, he was obsessed with all these different people I know. And it's like, uh, you talk about alternative comedy and, and it's like, don't I feel like I was a little cheated by like the concept of alternative comedy circa two thousands, you know? And I think I'm probably not alone in that, you know? Yeah. I'm a comedian, you know? And, and I, I just feel like I got into it because I thought these were people who, um, I don't even know what it was. Like they weren't trying to necessarily get rich and famous. They were trying to be like, as funny as possible and that was happening for a while but then you know it all got really gross really fast and now they're all tweeting about trump and Putin. calling the hellscape <laughs> yeah. and it's not just people who are like the resistance it's like literally like almost all comedians i know it's really weird from the far left to the far right 
Yeah. I mean, something that's really magical that has happened with Blink-155 is just this feeling. Um, I don't know if you know Vera Drew, but she was an editor for, for Absolutely for a long time. She edited Beef House and some other things. Um, she's currently making a film called The People's Joker, which is her experience. Um, it's basically like a autobiographical story of a trans woman told through the lens of all of the Joker movies. She's working on this right now. And I was talking, that's a good idea. (laughs) I, uh, she was telling me about it on blink One Fifty Five, and she was talking about like using all the things she learned about irony from the world that she came up with, uh, in terms of editing for all these shows, but then wanting to use that for good, um, and then around the same time, we were Twitch streaming constantly and the Black Lives Matter uprising was happening and we didn't really want to stop Twitch streaming. So then it just sort of naturally, this thing was birthed where we kept listening to the song Lips of an Angel by Hinder. I don't know if you know that, like really bad. Uh, it's like a really, really bad. One that goes, it's been a while. It's basically that song, but worse. Okay. Um, so we were listening to that on our Twitch stream every week and then people started covering it. And so we'd play it on our Twitch stream and then more people started covering it. And long story short, we released the compilation of 50 Hinder Lips of an Angel covers. And we raised like 10 grand for Black Lives Matter from this compilation. And it was just kind of like so unbelievable and life affirming, but like rooted in kind of making fun of this song that we all love now because we've listened to it so many times. But um, yeah, I don't know. It was just cool to see how you can kind of use the same tools to do something positive. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the people who I do these cartoons with, one of them who goes by the name Sweeneasy, shout out to Sweeneasy. Um, and he's great and he's super young and, and really, really, really prolific. Uh, you know, he made a Shrek tribute zine, you know, with all proceeds going to Black Lives Matter. And it was like, it's like I love seeing um, that side of things because it's sort of principle related rather than um, but still working within that like super fun, you know, um, irreverent, like the things that we are strangely passionate about, even though they're also ridiculous, like inverting Shrek, inverting Blink-182, celebrating both. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think it doesn't have to be like pure nihilism to, to do these things. Which is, I, I really feel like we're getting to the end of the podcast here. And um, I'd like to know what uh, you can tell me where, where people can hear uh, Globe Hell Warning and... Uh, Globe Hell Yeah, Globe Hell Warning. I think... I think it's on the apps, Globe Hell. Blink one fit. So Globe Hell comes out on Wednesdays. Usually. Globe Hell app. <laughs> There's the Globe Hell app, Worldwide Train Pass. Yes. Uh, no, you can. I think just if you just follow Globe Hell on Twitter, it's just Twitter slash Globe Hell, or follow Blink one fifty five Pod. I mean, both of them I'll are very. Follow you back. What's that? We'll follow them back. Yeah, we might. Globe Hell doesn't follow anyone back. We're we're on some other shit. Well, can I get one follow? You can get one follow. I got two accounts. Can I get one? <laughs> Did you just invite me on to ask for retweets and follow backs? I'm like that movie uh, Rashomon. I got four different accounts. <laughs> so they can find Globe Hell online. 
Blink-155 online, read your writings and exclaim, and uh, the New Republic, the Atlantic. Exactly. Yeah, everywhere. Talkymag.com. Uh, <laughs> Chapo Reddit. Uh, Red Scare Reddit. Um, what else? Uh, right, the Right Stuff Reddit. Um, how to dox a Nazi Reddit. I'm just going to let you keep going. How to mocks you can follow there's a really 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 famous teen christian tiktoker with my exact name josiah hughes and people think that i'm him all the time so that's my other plug is follow the the tiktoker josiah hughes have you been married for a long time i have been married for a long time yeah you were married when i met you yeah i've been married for a long time married i married you too (laughs) you married us that's when we last saw you yes i saw you at the (laughs) Maiden Mother Crone, etc. Sapphire <laughs> uh, to the pile of leaves. I you the couple. <laughs> and I pronounce myself tree priest. Well, Josiah, it's been a pleasure. I'm going to stop recording this soon and we can do a little off mic wrap up together. How's that? Excellent. Sound? Sounds great. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. This was great. And that was my chat with Josiah Hughes. Totally mispronounced his name. Wasn't it fun? I had a blast. Gosh, I really feel like 2021 is going to be even better for interviews. The worse the world gets, the better the interviews get. The better the pod, the better the bit con- worse the world, better the content. As I said earlier, Kofi.com slash Nick Flanagan, Patreon.com slash Nick Flanagan. We rely on your support. It really helps. And, you know, again, I got to shout out Andy Lloyd. Great producer, great musician. Um, He's been in Born Ruffians, and I'm just proud to be associated with this man. I'm proud to be associated with a lot of the things I've been associated with, and uh, certain things not so proud of. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the talk with Josiah. As I said earlier, listen to Globe Hell Warning, the podcast. Totally approve of the name. With Rappin' for Safety and Josiah. Follow Josiah and Rappin' for Safety on Twitter as well as Globe Hell Warming on t- Warning on Twitter and Blink1555Pod also on Twitter. All of them on all that other stuff. And of course, the podcast is on the social media too. I got a newsletter. Check it out. Tinyletter.com slash Nick Flanagan. Call to action is just supposed to be like one thing, but this is 10,000 things. What you're going to do when Nick Flanagan Weekly comes a rolling over you? All right. See you soon. Oh, man. Nick. Oh, Flanagan. Oh, Weekly. Oh, man. Nick. Flanagan. Weekly.